celebrate freedom. Uh, this is uh, the 4th of July coming up, and uh, we get to celebrate uh, freedom, a new country. God's, uh, God's just blessed this place in so many ways. How many of you guys got great plans for the 4th of July? Anybody? Nobody does. All right, you got a few plans. All right. So you all excited about that? you all excited about it? Doesn't sound like it. So hopefully you've got great plans. And so we have plans today to celebrate something that we feel like is really important. And we're talking today, we're, we're continuing our series, and we're talking about instructions and clues. So today we'll talk about the Sabbath. But I want to talk about last Sunday, and just, for just a second, and just kind of just brag on God. But last Sunday we had an incredible day. We had 14 professions of faith last Sunday. Pastor Godfrey did an incredible job. 14 people put their faith in Christ for salvation. That's always a day of celebration. I love to think about it like this. You know, we celebrate it down here, but it says that heaven has an incredible party if one calls on Christ to be redeemed. And so it's just powerful to realize, you know, that we're excited, but that heaven, man, rejoices all the more. And then last Sunday night, we had an incredible evening. We had our worship night. We had a, we had a full house. And, uh, man, we had, ton- we, I think we had more guests than we had regular members and attenders here. And it was an incredible evening. The power of God was here. And the worship, Matt and his team did an incredible job. So uh, just give them a hand if you would. You know, and just tell them thanks for all they do. They work hard. And, uh, man, it was a great, it was just a great day. Great Lord's Day. And so if you've got your outline, take it out, kind of follow along. And uh, today we're diving into the, the, uh, the fourth commandment. And uh, the, we've got some more of the Ten Commandment uh, sheets. If you guys want those, they'll be available after the service. We ran out a couple of weeks ago and we had them, so we had a few more printed up. So if you didn't get one then, you can get one now. Uh, so let's read this. This passage I don't think is in your notes, but it'll be here on the screen. But we've been reading this. It's out of Deuteronomy. And Moses is preparing the people for the promised land. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Jesus would commend that as the greatest commandment whenever we get into the New Testament. So greatest commandment. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. And write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And again, as a reminder, I want us to remember, if you're a parent in the room or one day you hope to be a parent or whatever, here's the thing, is what Moses is telling you, listen, it is the responsibility of the parents to teach their children God's Word, to teach the things of God to our children. Now, it's not the church's role. I hope you guys understand that. Do we do everything we can to make sure that they're taught that? Yes, because we have some kids who may end up coming here who their parents aren't believers. They don't believe in the Word of God, but you know what? Their kids end up coming here. So we're going to teach the Word of God, and we're going to teach those things, and hopefully that's just icing on the cake. But mom and dad, I hope you guys understand that your role, your responsibility, is to make sure that your kids grow up in, under the teaching of God's Word, and that you model it. And like the passage says, over and over again, you know, look for opportunities, look for ways to teach the truth of God's Word to your children. And so Moses is challenging the homes. He's saying, hey, your, your homes need to be a place where the Word of God is taught, and where your kids they understand the teachings of God. So let's look at this, uh, this uh, commandment today. You must remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. So in verse 8 here of Exodus, it says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a, is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, 
the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So we're going we're to kind of unpack some of this today. And we're going we're gonna to kind of look at some things that maybe some of you guys are unfamiliar with. Or maybe you didn't know, but we're going to dig into it today. So the Sabbath was a gift. It was God's gift to his people. So what, what God is saying there, hey, listen, you guys will work six, day, six days. Now, it doesn't sound like the American dream, does it? Because we often, we want to work five days, right? We want Monday through Friday. You want the weekend off. And, 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 and something you need to understand, he's addressing that you're to work. So he's covering that in there. Hey, you're to work six days. Now, we often go right past that. And we're like, all right, let me get to that Sabbath, that day of rest deal. Let's talk about that. But he's saying, number one, you should work. And understand, back in the day, they didn't work eight-hour days. You know, our mentality here in the American Dream is, hey, you work eight hours a day, you go home, you only do that five days a week, you get two days off. Well, that's not what the Bible is covering there. It says for six days you go hard. As my dad used to say to us, hey, we're going to go from can to can. You know, you know you're going to get up, you're going to go early. You would work from daylight till dark, and then you would rest. Now, now dark doesn't mean rest anymore because now everybody's got lights on, they got TVs, and everybody's, you know, staying up till 10, 12, 11 o'clock, whatever. But there was a time whenever people didn't do that. It cost too much to keep the lights on and stuff, so oftentimes they went from daylight till dark. They, they worked hard. And so it's saying it's important to work, but it's also important to rest. And so the Sabbath was God's gift to his people. You know, and, and maybe some of you guys, you guys can understand this. I mean, you're always going. You feel like you're always going. And so you feel like, hey, you know what, my mind, I'm always thinking, always thinking. And so we need that day of rest. We need a day where we've got a time to just kind of slow down, maybe smell the coffee, smell the roses, enjoy the moment. And so we've got to be intentional about that. So God was intentional about it. God said there needs to be a moment of rest, a day of rest. And we go, 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 we go hard, and we go hard at it. And so it was given to the people to have a day of rest. You know, the Sabbath was God's gift to his people. So look at it, it says the very word Sabbath means rest. The rest from labor, the day of rest. So it's a day, it's a whole day that's committed to rest, to resting and recovery. We, need, we often need recovery. If you work out, your muscles need a time of recovery. You know, and oftentimes we need that time to just kind of rest our mind, to rest our emotions or to rest our bodies physically. And if you don't give your body rest, your body will make you rest. Oftentimes you end up getting sick. You get run down. We always say, you know, I got run down or whatever. It's because you didn't rest your body. You didn't take the time to let it rest. And so our bodies are designed in that way, that we need a day of rest. So the Ten Commandments were not given. This is important. To, to make us squirm, but to protect us. So the Ten Commandments were not given to make us squirm or to hold us boxed in or to keep us in check, but they were to protect us. And so it's like, like I said, the first four deal with our relationship with God and the rest of them deal with our relationship with others around us. And so Moses, hey, listen, guys, teach these, remember these, commit to these. And he said, these are important. And so what God is saying, it's not these laws of, hey, I'm, I'm going to block you in. But it's liberating laws of life that he's given here in the, in the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. He said, listen, if you'll adhere to these, if you'll line up with these, he said, man, you'll be blessed. You'll be better off. You'll be protected from wearing yourself out. You'll, you'll be in right standing with me, is what he's saying in those first four. And then the rest of them, you'll be in right standing with the people around you. And it's important for our relationships to be good. And so the Ten Commandments were not given to make us squirm, but to protect us. It's kind of like a parent who says, who tells the kids, hey, listen, you guys have fun. Hey, but listen, don't do this and don't do this, but you can do this. So you're giving guidelines, but you're pretty much saying, hey, listen, y'all have fun. Y'all enjoy. 
Because most parents want their kids to enjoy life. They want them to enjoy what they're doing. And so, but you've got to have some guidelines. You know, and you do that to protect them. So God's trying to protect his people here. And so look at this uh, next statement. It says, it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. So the Sabbath that we see here in Exodus was a foreshadowing of what was to come. So what does that mean? A foreshadowing means, hey, it was kind of pointing to something that's in the future. It's pointing to something that's down the line, the timeline. It's pointing to Christ. It's pointing to what Jesus will accomplish. And so everything that we see in the Old Testament, we covered this a couple weeks ago, is a foreshadowing of what is to come with Christ. God is going to provide a way of salvation for all people. God is going to provide a way of, of finishing the work, the completed work of redemption. And so everything that we see in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. Every prophecy is fulfilled in the person of Christ. No matter what it is, you know, you can break them all down. He fulfills every prophecy and he points to and everything in there points towards him. Because Jesus is, he is literally, you know, the answer. He is what God has said. Hey, listen, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He's going to get it done. And whenever he hung his head on the cross, he said, it is finished. He had completed the work of redemption. And so everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing. is pointing towards, hey, what's going to take place. There's really going to be a day, one day, where there will be true rest. Not just a day of rest. But there's going to be rest for your soul. There's going to be rest that you cannot even describe at this point. To all of this is a foreshadowing is pointing towards Christ who is coming. And so it says here, we as the church celebrate the Lord's Day. We as the church celebrate the Lord's Day. And we're going to unpack this today. But we celebrate the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. The Sabbath that we see there, you work six days, and the last day of the week would have been a Saturday. It would have been the Sabbath. So the Sabbath in the Old Testament was a Saturday. And there are some people who want to keep that, that mentality. Hey, you know what? We're going to let the Sabbath be our day of rest. That's a, that's a Saturday. But for the believer, for the Christian, there's something that has come to fulfill that Old Testament foreshadowing that is in Christ. And so the resurrection, the power of the resurrection took place on what? The Lord's Day. And so the fulfillment of the Old Testament is in Christ. And so therefore Christ established the Lord's Day as the first portion of our week. And so we as the church celebrate the Lord's Day. And it should still be a day of rest. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit here in a second. So we as a church celebrate the Lord's Day. Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. So when we gather as the church on a Sunday morning, or we gather as the church, or as the body of Christ, what we're doing is we're celebrating the power of the resurrection. I know many of you guys go, well, that's Easter, Mike. No, Easter is the, is the day of the week or the day of the year that we celebrate as the, hey, this is when it happened. But every Sunday is really a day to celebrate the power of the resurrection. So when we gather in here and we sing songs, we ought to be going, you know what? He is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we don't only have to say that on Sunday morning of Easter, but we get to celebrate that every Sunday. As a believer, as a Christian, we gather as the body of Christ, which is the church, which is what Jesus Christ established. And so here's the thing is whenever we gather as the body of Christ and we gather together, we ought to be able to celebrate. Every Sunday should be a celebration. We even call them our worship celebrations in here. And so we gather as the body of Christ and we celebrate that he is alive, that he has defeated death. He has defeated the grave. He has defeated sin. He has set us free. If you want something to celebrate this week called freedom, man, if freedom through Christ, there's nothing like that. Man, I'm excited about the nation that I live in, and I'm excited about the 4th of July, but there's nothing that comes close to my freedom in Christ. And so we have that. Go ahead. You can clap it up for him. But it's because of what Christ has done. 
Not for what man has done. It's what Christ has done. And here's what I want you to understand. Looking back at the Old Testament points everything at Christ. And so when we gather as the church, it shouldn't be that we begrudgingly go, yeah, i got to go to church. Or, man, I have to go up there and listen to Pastor Mike again. You know, he's long-winded, you know, and, and I don't like those songs they sing or whatever. That shouldn't be the mentality. It should be that we come in and we look at the lyrics and we think about maybe what that lyric says. And we go, man, that is truth. God, that is truth. And God, I sing that back to you. God, this is a, this is a, this is a love song back to you. We want to worship you. We invite you to come in and take over. We want your power and your presence to literally just cover this room, Lord. Don't let any one of us leave this place the same. But God, empower us and send us out of here different today. But we worship the power of the resurrection. And that's the way it ought to be. And so we, every Sunday, we celebrate the power of the resurrection. So here's the thing. There are three primary rest days in the Bible. So three primary Sabbaths, if you will, in the Bible. The first one is creation rest. And that's the one that we all are most likely familiar with is creation rest. That's Genesis 2, 1 through 3. You ju- it was just covered up here in Exodus where God, he created everything. He spoke and it was put into existence. He literally took the earth and, and spun it into orbit. But he did it with his very words. He spoke and he said it was good. And it was good. And it was without sin. It was incredible. But the thing is, is that, that creation rest, God's creation rest was interrupted by sin. And, and, and we, we look at that and we go, all right, God took, he, he worked for six days and then on the seventh day he rested. Well, let me make something very clear. It was not because he was tired. I hope everybody understands that. God didn't rest because he was tired. Isaiah tells us that he never grows weary. But here's what happened it, is God creates all that we see, all that we know. And it says that he rested, kind of like a musician, you know, begins to, they may play a certain part and then there'll be a rest and they might say, hey, listen, we're just going to let it breathe. And what they're doing is they're taking a moment to kind of reflect back on what just took place and, and they're acknowledging what just took place and they're enjoying what just took place. You know, and there's times maybe like for you, you go through life and you take a moment and you say, you know what? Hey man, I just want to stop. I just want to enjoy this. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating 15 years as a church. It's our 15-year anniversary. And, and, and for me, I, I think it's important that we take some time and we, and we stop and we look back and, and we pause, if you will. We rest for a day and we look back and we go, man, look at what God has done. Look at the souls that have been saved. Look at the lives that have been changed. Look at the marriages that have been saved. Look at, look at what God has done. And so you pause, you take that moment, you enjoy what God has done. So God literally spoke all things into existence and he took a moment to go, this is good. And if he's going to model that, then we ought to take time to rest and enjoy the moment. Maybe driving down the road and, man, you, you're, you're frazzled and you're, you're, you're tired and you're weary. And you see an incredible sunset. And maybe you just decide to pull off on the side of the road and say, you know what? Man, I, I just want to enjoy this moment. God, your, your beauty is breathtaking. God, you're the greatest artist that there ever was. And so, God, thank you for letting me enjoy this moment. Or maybe, maybe you walk in to your, to your child's bedroom and they're sleeping and as a parent or as a grandparent and you watch them sleep and you're just moved by the fact that God created them. And you go, God, I just want to enjoy this moment. I just want to watch this baby sleep. And, and so here's the thing. It becomes worship. It becomes worship of who he is. And so we take the time to, to rest. We take the time to reflect. We take the time to worship him in truth and in spirit. And, and so here... In this passage here in John, understand what John has 
I mean, what, what John is re- uh, recording here, Jesus has just healed a man who's been lame and, and you know, and, and uh, sick for 38 years of his life. So for 38 years, he's been lame. And Jesus asked him, he says, he goes, do you want, do you want to be well? And the guy goes, Jesus, how can I? I can't even get to the pool. And, you know, when the water begins to bubble, they thought there was, there was healing powers in there. And so he would try to get to the pool, but he couldn't get there because he was lame. And someone would beat him to the pool. So Jesus said, hey, listen, stand up and take your mat and walk. And so some religious people saw what, you know, what was going on. And they, and they said, hey, wait a minute. What are you doing carrying your mat? You're breaking the Sabbath. And he goes, he goes the man that healed me told me to take up my mat and, and, and walk with it. And he said, well, you're working on Sunday. You can't be doing Are you working on the Sabbath? You can't be doing that. And so they began to attack him. And, 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 and anyway, so Jesus talked to him later. He said, listen, you know, don't, you know, don't continue to sin. Because even great, even worse things could happen to you. And so the guy went back and told him, he said, hey, listen, that was Jesus that healed me. So they come after Jesus and they're saying, hey, you broke the Sabbath. You know, and pretty much what they were saying, hey, listen, it's, it, you, need, you need to die. So let's pick up here. It says, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him for not only had he broke the Sabbath, but he called his father there, called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. And so what has happened here is Jesus is healed on the Sabbath and they're wanting to put him to death. And then he, he says, hey, listen, you know, my father. And they're like, wait a minute. If you're the son, then you're like God. So this guy needs to be put to death all the more. These guys were crazy. And so God's creation rest was interrupted by sin. And I love what Jesus said there. He goes, my father is always working. He says, and so am I. So Jesus came here to work. Jesus came here not to rest, but to work. To the redeeming work, complete the redeeming work that was needed. And so Jesus, he was all about that. So God is, that creation rest is after God created all of the world. And then here's the second rest, or the second Sabbath, if you will, is the covenant rest with the Jewish people. And so in, in Exodus 31, this is a sign, if you will, of the covenant between God and his ancient people, the Israelites. It says, tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you. You can underline that. It's a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. And it is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And you must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. To death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a day, a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. And so, in other words, you know, there's this covenant established. It's kind of like circumcision. You know, it was, it was a sign of the covenant between God and his people. And we see that, you know, Paul addresses that later on in the New Testament. We say, hey, listen, man, it's no longer that way here. And so Jesus established a new creation, you know, and we need to understand that, that, you know, God created and spoke all the world into existence. But if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus is about to create a new people, a, a new tribe, if you will. But this was a sign of the covenant between God and the, and the Israelites. And so let's, let's look here. It says the Old Testament Sabbath. The seventh day of the week, a Saturday, was to be a sign of the covenant between God and Israel. 
So it was a sign between them, which was the Old Testament, and that was the ancient people. And then look at the next statement. It says, Israel was a theocracy under the direct rule of God. So this, this relationship was between the two of them. It was God. And, he, 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 and here's the thing. His intention was that through the nation of Israel, you know, the message would be made known to the world. But Israel became a very haughty people and a very stiff-necked people. And there was constantly this contention with God. And so that was a sign of their covenant. So let's keep moving. So the Sabbath was supposed to be a blessing to Israel, but the people, they contorted it into a heavy burden. So the people, the nation of Israel, contorted it into a heavy burden. So it was intended to be what? A day of what? Rest. It was supposed to be a day of rest, but the people contorted it into a heavy burden. And so at one point, they had created so many rules and regulations with the Sabbath that there were over 1,500 ways that you could break the Sabbath. Fifth, over 1,500 ways you could break the Sabbath. And, and so if you broke the Sabbath, we just read, according to their statutes, according to this, this covenant, they would literally be put to death. So, you know, some people say, well, you know, hey, I want us to go back to that. Let's go back to doing it on Saturday. Let's go back to doing it the way it was in the Old Testament. You know, that's what we're going to do. That's going to be our Sabbath. And so here's the thing, is if you want to live that way, then you better be prepared to die that way. If you want to live that way, you better be prepared to die that way. Because if you break that covenant, if you break that law, if you break that standard, then here's the thing, you were to be put to death. And it got, it got to the point where it became a burden to the people. They had over 1,500 ways you could break the Sabbath. And, and so you might say, well, all right, well, I want to go back to that. Well, you couldn't make a fire. You know, and, and you might say, well, you know, Mike, we don't, we don't have fires in my house. You couldn't do it on the Sabbath. But you might, you might think, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm good. But if you get in your car and you crank out the engine, you got little bit of fires that are taking place all in that motor. And so here's the thing. You would be put to death if you want to live according to that standard. And so if, you, if, if that's your mentality, hey, I want to go back and do that. I want to live according to that. Then you're missing what Jesus is about. Because, again, remember, it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. And, and so you might say, well, I, I, I want to go back and do that. If you did anything that was work on the Sabbath, the seventh day Saturday, then you were put to death or you had the potential to be put to death. But then Jesus comes along and changes things. And so here in this, this passage here in Mark chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a, a grain field, a wheat field, and they begin to break off a few heads of wheat and they begin to eat. The disciples do. And so the Pharisees, or these religious leaders, I should say, they're like, hey, wait a minute. Why are they harvesting grain? They're breaking off and just eating grain. Why are they harvesting food? Why are they harvesting grain? They're working they need to be put to death is pretty much what they're saying. So listen to what Jesus says. This is his response. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus said, hey, listen, the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of myself. Jesus said the, the, the Old Testament guidelines, the, everything was pointing to what was to come. And so everything that we talk about, redemption, salvation, it was in the person of Jesus Christ. And so all of that was being pointed to by the Old Testament. And so Jesus, look at what he says again. And he even says before, he goes, haven't you read the scriptures? I mean, kind of calling them out. But he says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. And not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. You've inverted it. You've contorted it. You've corrupted it. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is even Lord over the Sabbath. And so here's the third rest. This is Calvary rest. 
Calvary Sabbath, if you will, Calvary rest, Jesus came to complete the work of redemption. I said it earlier. He didn't come to rest. He came to work. Jesus came to redeem that which was lost. Jesus came to restore you know, a right relationship with God the Father through him. Jesus said, if any man uh, comes unto me, he, you know, wants to come unto the Father, he's got to come through me. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus' work was to go to the cross. When we think about the picture of the cross, you know, Jesus knew his, he was fixed on that cross. He knew that that was a destination. He knew he was headed there. And so Jesus is fixed. He is set. It says that he literally leaned his shoulder towards Jerusalem. He was moving in that direction. He had a task to accomplish. He had a debt to pay. Your sin debt, my sin debt. And he was bound and determined, you know what? Nothing's holding me back. Satan dogged him all the way to the cross. But he would not be denied because he had a mission that he was here to accomplish. And it was to fulfill everything that we see in the Old Testament. And to literally bring life. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has come. The new has the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So if you put your faith in Christ, man, you're a new creation. And this is what I love in this next passage. We're going to see where Jesus he finished the work. He finished the Calvary rest is about to happen. But he was taking care of Calvary on the cross. And so therefore, he hangs his head. He bows his head and he says it is finished. And he gives up his spirit. And so Jesus literally died on that cross some people say well he wasn't really dead no no he was really dead and he was laid in a borrowed tomb and he would be he would be resurrected by the power of god on the third day which is the lord's day which is the lord's day and so look at what it says here jesus rested after his creation and redeeming work so after he took care of the cross the redemption and then after he literally made a way for us to be created new through through him and him alone he rested. It says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, that's Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. I mean, get that. That's not for a year. That's not for a week. That's not for a month. Good for all time. Past, present, and future sins. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then he rested. So Jesus literally took care of your sin debt, my sin debt, past, present, and future for all time. All the sins of the world were put on him. You know, it, whenever Jesus says, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? That, you know, the, the, the theologians often say that, you know what, the sin of the world was put on him and God who is holy. We just got through singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Could not look on that sin. Your sin, my sin, your lie, your cheating, your stealing was placed on Christ. The ultimate sacrifice who purchased our salvation. But it says that the, the priest would have to go in time and time again. He didn't sit down. There was nowhere for him to sit, but Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And I love this. This is in Colossians 2. It talks about new life in Christ. Listen to this. It says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. We have a responsibility to follow him. Let your roots grow down, down into him. And let, let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth and you, uh, uh, the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Now listen to what that's saying right there. He is fully God yet fully man. 
And so what the book of Colossians is saying right there is that Jesus is the fullness of God in human form. So you are also complete through the union with Christ. In other words, when we connect with Christ, when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we accept Christ, it says that we are made made new. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and when you were raised to the new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's why when we baptize, we say, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. And so that's the power of God, the power of the resurrection is at work in us as believers. It says you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of your sins, all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What Satan thought was the greatest defeat was the greatest victory the world has ever known. The cross of Christ. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Man, what glorious truth. Amen. I mean, that is the truth of the gospel. That Jesus has fulfilled everything that he promised. Everything that God said, hey, there's one that's coming. That man, man, I'm telling you, he'll take care of everything. And it was Jesus. We celebrate the Lord's Day. Revelation 1.10 was given on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, the first day of the week. And so that's why it's so important that we give God our first portion. The very beginning of our week, we say it's the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. And and so Sunday is what we celebrate as the Lord's Day. We celebrate the Lord's Day. Revelation 1.10, it it calls it the Lord's Day. We celebrate the first day of the week as our day of rest and worship. Let me tell you, there's nothing like a Sunday afternoon nap. Man, I'm telling you, there's nothing like a Sunday afternoon nap. You get up, you come here, you worship. Man, you pour out your heart before the Lord, and you go home and you take a Sunday afternoon nap. There's nothing like that rest. I remember back whenever we preached, we did three sermons uh, or three services a day, and I preached three sermons a day. I remember at times going like, did I say that in the first service, the second service, or is this the first time I've said it in this service? I mean, it would get confusing. And so I would go home, and Laurie would be like, hey, are, we going, are you going to eat lunch with us? And I'd be like, yeah, man, I would have already crashed on the couch because I was exhausted. Because preaching or teaching literally is spiritually exhausting. It's physically exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. And I, I can work in a yard all day long, and I'm not nearly as tired as I am if I've preached three times. Not if you poured everything out. And, and so the thing is, is there's nothing like that day going home and just crashing and resting and enjoying that moment. Enjoying the Lord's Day. I can remember a time, and maybe some of you guys came back when they had Blue Law Day, where nothing was open on Sunday. Nothing was open on Sunday. If you didn't get it on Saturday, you didn't get it on Sunday. You know, and so you had to be prepared to have a day of rest. And so the Lord's Day should be a day of rest. And, and, and it's important for us to understand that. So we celebrate the first day of the week as our day of rest and worship as the church, as the body of Christ. If we go back and we look, the Lord's Day is a holy day. The Lord's Day is a holy day. Why is it a holy day? Because it's His. It's the Lord's Day. 
It's a holy day. You might say, well, I thought the Sabbath was a holy day. Jesus established a new day. He, is, he, he established a new covenant. We're under the, the covenant of grace. You know, we're no longer under the law. We're under God's grace. You know, what we look back and we see in creation, it was, a, it was a display of God's power. When we still look at the new creation, we see God's grace and God's mercy. That He offers to us salvation. That we can be in right standing with Him. Not because of anything that we've done, but because He has shown grace. And He shows His mercy. And He is a loving Father who wants everyone to be saved. He wants all of us to be in His family. And so, the Lord's Day is a holy day because it, it's His it's also the day of the resurrection. It's also the day of Pentecost. It is also the day that he first met with the disciples after the resurrection. It's also the day that they gathered and they met and they worshipped as the early church. The early church is what Jesus established. It's also the day that they would gather and they would collect offerings so that they could be a blessing and do missions and spread the gospel all over the globe. Part of the reason you're sitting here is because people met on the Lord's Day and they gave sacrificially so that others would hear the gospel. Here we are thousands of years later, and it's because of what someone did and someone sacrificed that others might hear the good news. Thank God they didn't sit on their their, their wallets and they didn't sit there and say, you know what, I don't trust the church. They said, you know what, I believe in the mission of the church. I believe in what God can do through the church. And maybe 2,000 years later we're here because of that. And so we've got to have that mentality, God, help me to understand that this is a day of celebration. It's a day of investing in what you've done. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. See, it's not just a physical rest. It's a rest for your souls. There are some people who still try to live out Every letter of the law, hoping that they're good enough that God will accept them. And what the law reveals is that you'll never be good enough. The law shows us, you know what, I can't follow everything. I can't do everything. I'll mess up. And that's the thing, we've all messed up. God's Word tells us that we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And we all need a Savior. We all need to be redeemed. And the only way that we can be in right standing with God is through our faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, which is Calvary. And that He has paid the price for your sin and my sin once and for all. And then like it talks about up here, He has cut away that sinful nature. And we are no longer a slave to sin. But if anything, we have found freedom in Christ. And that we can walk in freedom. We no longer have to sin. We may choose to sin, but we no longer have to sin. We have been redeemed. We have been purchased. We have been set free. And so I don't know about you, but man, when I read that passage, let me read it again. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. How many of y'all in this room feel like you're weary? Just raise your hand. Be honest. Man, I'm weary. Raise it high. Man, that's nearly everybody in the room. Jesus, he's saying to every one of you, hey man, come to me. And I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what your burdens are. And I don't know what you're tired from or what you're weary from. Maybe you're weary from watching the news. Quit watching it. Maybe you're weary from, man, finances. We just don't have enough. I'm just telling you, you can do more with you using having 90% and God is your partner than you'll ever be able to accomplish with you trying to manage all the finances on your own. I'm just telling you, God, it's God math. But whenever you're trusting God with your finances, it takes a burden off of you. It's on Him. And I'm telling you this, He can handle it. You can't. And so too often we're trying to figure out, we're trying to make it, hey, I've got to make it. No, you don't have to. God has to make ends meet. 
whenever we're trusting Him. Maybe it's a relationship. And maybe you're trying to fix this relationship. You're trying to do something. You know, you keep trying to figure, hey, what can I do to win her over? What can I do to win him over? What can I do to save our marriage? Maybe you just ought to say, you know what, God, I don't know what to do. God, I trust you. And so, God, I'm giving you my marriage. Maybe you say, God, I don't know what to do with my kids. God, I'm giving you my children. God, I'm giving you everything. And and so I think it's important for us to say, you know what, Jesus, you, you tell me, hey, that your burden is light. But what I'm toting around... No one person should have to carry. And so whatever you're weary from, whatever you're tired from, whatever you're exhausted from, maybe today for the first time you just say, you know what? And I, listen, I'm not talking to people that aren't believers. I'm talking to those of you that are believers. You're just not trusting Christ with everything. You're trusting Him to save your soul, but you're not trusting Him with your marriage. You're not trusting Him with your finances. You're not trusting Him with your kids. You're not trusting Him with your job or your career. But you've got to say, God, I, I trust you with everything. So instead of just trying to be good enough, just go, God, I, I'm leaning into you. Let me read it one more time. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I am hum- humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you this light. That next step there is a real simple one today. I will honor the Lord's day. I will honor the Lord's day. You might say, well, Mike, how do you honor the Lord's day? You, you were talking about a while ago that the Sabbath had so many rules. See, I don't have rules for honoring the Lord's day, but this is what I would say to you. And you might want to write this down. I know kind of like last week, y'all are already putting everything away. I see everybody, hey, well, let me, he's done. Pull it back out for a second. Write this, write this down. Write this down. This is the question that I think you ought to ask God. God, how can I honor you on the Lord's day? Write that down. God, how can I honor you on the Lord's day? Because I know some of you are probably already thinking, hey, dude, good. Pastor Mike said we can go to the lake now. You know, we can do this. We can, we can do whatever we want to do. That's not what I said at all today. I said that the Lord's day is holy. And it should be set apart. And if anything... You know, we ought to gather as the body of Christ. That's what Jesus died for. That's what Jesus established was the church. And so what we ought to do is we ought to make it intentional. And I would just, let me speak to the parents again. Mom, dad, model for your child what is most important. Model for your child what's most important. You might say, well, hey, my job's most important because, you know, man, I don't ever miss there. But we always make excuses for missing church, man. Hey, you know, Pastor Mike, man, it, it's just been hectic. So we went to the beach. Would you tell your boss that? Probably not. Man, I, I just having a rough week, and man, I just didn't feel like coming in today, boss. You know, he like that's good. You find you another job. You know what I'm saying? And, and, but here's the thing, mom and dad. What if you were to model for your kids that it's important to be at church? It's important to gather as the body of Christ. It's important to make sure that you're up and you're here, mom and dad. What if you were to say, hey, listen, let's gather, let's worship, and then you worship God in front of your child to where your child knows what it means to worship. They watch you worship football teams, right? They watch you worship. Baseball teams, soccer teams, they watch you worship others. To, have they ever seen you worship God in truth and in spirit? Man, that's the greatest thing you could ever teach them. And so that last thing says, I will honor the Lord's day. And so your question ought to be every, every Lord's day, God, how can I honor you today? By gathering as your church, by giving, 
by giving and, and, and letting those tithes and offerings go towards making other disciples, blessing other churches, supporting other missionaries, God, and making a difference so that the gospel is spread, whether it's in my generation or one far to come that's way down the road. God, I'll trust you. Mom and Dad, I'm just challenging you. Just what Moses said. Do these things in front of your kids so that they will learn. Let them see that you believe in the God who can handle all things. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just maybe you're here today and maybe you've never put your faith in Christ. Like I said, last Sunday we had ten people in this room that put their faith in Christ. But maybe you weren't here last Sunday. And maybe you go, you know what, Mike, that's me. Man, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be a part of the family of God. I, I want to know that I'm in right standing with God. And if that's you, it's as simple as this. It's just a simple prayer. You can pray this right where you're at. Say, so Jesus, I believe that you went to the cross for me. I believe that you went to Calvary. And you bled out your precious blood. And you paid for my sins. And so, Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to ask you to come into my heart. And I want you to be the leader of my life and the Lord of my life. Jesus, will you come into my heart? His answer is yes. Jesus, will you teach me how to live in a way that honors you? His answer is yes. Remember, he said, let him teach you. He will teach you how to walk in step with him. He will teach you how to line up with his word. He will teach you how to walk in freedom. And if that's you, if you just prayed that prayer, you ask Christ to come into your life. You ask Jesus to save you. Then I want to ask you if you will just to raise your hand. Just, just say, Pastor Mike, that was me. I just prayed that prayer. I just asked Christ to come into my life. Anybody in the room? I see your hand back here. I see your hand. Awesome. You're a child of the, you're a child of the king. You're part of his family now. Anybody else? There's, there's two right here. Raise their hand. Anybody else? It's by faith that we're saved, putting our faith in what Christ has done. Anybody else? Anybody else? Man, praise God for these two. Hey, and those two that raised your hand, look up here for me. Just the two of you that raised your hand. If you will, I want you to, I want you to indicate it on a card. Or either you can go back, back here to the VIP room. We've got a Bible we want to put in your hand. And we want, to ta- we want to walk with you. It's a journey. We want to walk together. And so anything we can do to help you on that journey in walking with Christ, we want to do that, all right? All right, everybody with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I, I can just tell you this. There's a lot of believers in this room, a lot of Christians. Let me ask you, are you honoring the Lord today? Are you trusting Christ in every area of your life? Are you trusting with your relationships? Are you following His Word when it comes to how to honor Him in those relationships? Are you trusting Him in the area of finances? Are you trusting Him with a tithe? What are you doing? Why would you not trust God? He loves you. He has purchased you. He has redeemed you. And He wants to use you to do great and mighty things. You may not believe in yourself, but I promise you, He believes in you. He believed in you enough that He sent His Son Jesus from heaven to here to live as one of us fully God, fully human to bleed out His precious blood to set us free from the bondage of sin. So if you're walking in sin, don't walk in it any longer. But say, you know what? Today, I choose to honor the Lord and to honor the Lord's day. Father, I thank You for meeting with us. I thank You for the truth of Your Word. God, I thank You for the new covenant. I thank You for being a new creation. And God, I think for whenever we get to celebrate baptism, God, we always think about being brand new. God, made new. You give us a new name and a new heart. God, you give us a new destination. God, you give us a new, a new purpose in life. And God, I thank you for those that have put their faith in you today. God, their, their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life with Christ's blood. And they are new members 
of your family. God, thank you again for loving us. And I pray that you just bless this day. Father, help us to enjoy freedom this week in a a way like we've never uh, enjoyed it before. Not just the freedom we have here in America. Thank you for those who have fought and defended this freedom that we have, that we can gather here as a church. But God, more than anything, that we would celebrate the freedom we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.